and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarians Corner for Knives Out. Hello and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my friend and co-host Julio. Julio, we venture into the territory of Ryan Johnson today. Uh, not for this particular movie, but because he had the the nerve and gall to try to make an original Star Wars film. Uh, one of the more maligned, in some circles, uh, filmmakers of recent years. It really seems like he, uh, despite the fact that Rise of Skywalker is an objectively bad film, it yep. seems like for what he did, he got way more shit and, uh, you know, hate, as they say online, as opposed to J.J. Abrams. That would be a correct statement, right? I, that's how I see it as well. Are we biased? I don't think so. <laughs> I think we are correct. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, we're not biased, we're just right. Yeah. Um, yeah, J.J. Abrams is still... Uh, it's almost like like he didn't do it. You know, you think like Last Jedi and you automatically think Ryan Johnson, but you say Rise of Skywalker and people don't think J.J. Abrams. They just go like, oh yeah, that movie... <laughs> We're here today to discuss Ryan Johnson's 2019 release, right at the end of the year, too. So right before everything fell apart, he got it in right at the uh, the optimum time, because he ended up pulling, uh, looks like a box office return of over $300 million. Um, so good for him. He didn't have any troubles during the pandemic. From the guy that brought you The Last Jedi. And uh, was it Brothers Bloom, Brick, and of course Looper. 97% of Rotten Tomatoes, one of the higher ranked movies we've done recently coming off the the heels of our first zero percenter uh a, a recent film pretty uh you know if we took an average or a medium it was definitely uh closer to you know recent than a lot of the movies we do julio did you see this in the theaters when it came out i did i i saw it twice i i want to say i screened it and then i i watched it uh with my wife as run up to the Oscars because I think it was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. So that was one of the years where she was trying to keep up with all nominations. So we went and we saw it. So that was two times in theaters. And then I want to say last year, uh, we watched it with my mother-in-law. So that's three. And then now today, four. Beat that. Do you own it? Because I I watched the, the free streaming version on Amazon Prime. Well, uh, I was going to do that, but when I was telling uh, Kelly that, you know, we were doing Knives House, she's like, let's just buy it. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> so <laughs> so now I own it. Nice. 
So you are correct. It was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Uh, had a whole litany of award nominations. The Golden Globes, Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. Best Actor, Daniel Craig. Best Actress, Ana de Armas. Is that uh, Julia? Help me Armas. Armas, okay. <laughs> Always just try to add enunciation to <laughs> foreign names. If this is your first time listening to The Contrarians, thank you so much. We welcome you with open arms if you are one of our returning listeners. Uh, thank you. And give us just a moment here while we explain what it is we're going to be doing today here with uh, the 2019 awards, darling, and you know fan favorite. Because, God, I've heard a lot of people talk about this movie leading into my first viewing today. Here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. That is our battle cry. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated. A lot of times known as certified fresh. Uh, with this one being 97%, you can bet your bottom dollar it's got that uh, nice little IP, the Certified Fresh logo next to it. Uh, and what we'll do uh, specifically with Knives Out today is uh, maybe poke some holes in the plot, find some of the directing choices, casting choices, poor acting, things you know that uh, maybe got overlooked or swept under the rug by the critics, things that aren't properly reflected in that 97% rating. Uh, conversely, we'll find films that are lowly rated, usually about 30% and below on Rotten Tomatoes, those nasty green splotches known as Rotten. And you guessed it, make a case for that film with positive merit, maybe some of the uh, underrated acting, uh, bold storytelling choices, what have you. Uh, all in an effort to say that, you know, number one, this shit's subjective. You can be as over the moon about something as you want to be, or you can find a way to be cynical about something great if you truly a desire to do so. And also, number two, uh, that the Rotten Tomatoes system doesn't always tell the whole story. And sometimes that there's aspects to great movies that aren't too good, and there's aspects to bad movies that are actually kind of great. So that's what we do. That comprises the first half of our podcast, what we refer to as Contrarian's Corner. Julio, the second half, part two, uh, is where we discuss how we really feel about the movies, the, the subjects at hand. That's correct. Once you get to part two of this show, uh, the aptly titled Real Talk, that's where you find out exactly how Alex and I feel about the movie. And sometimes we find how the other one feels also. Yes, I told you, Alex, this is my fourth time watching it. So it would make sense that I don't hate this movie, at least. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> I would have stopped after the first time. Uh, but, you know, it is not uncommon. I mean, it's happened before sometimes in episodes of this show that uh, we tackle a movie that we used to like and it turns out that we don't like it anymore and vice versa. So uh, maybe my opinion has changed. And also, uh, even if it turns out that I do like it, I mean, why do I like it? And do I like it as much as uh, that Rotten Tomatoes score would uh, indicate? Am I a 97 percenter? We'll all find out once we get to real talk. And then I have no idea what Alex thinks of this movie. I just got one very cryptic text uh, <laughs> About God, what's that? What's that? Uh, family Guy? No, no, Family Guy. Sorry, King of the Hill. King of the Hill. Yeah, there's a a lot of similarities between a two episode arc of King of the Hill and uh, Knives Out. Uh, <laughs> you asked if I meant who shot Mr. Burns, and the big thing is uh, there's like a, a ringer, a shark brought in in the King of the Hill episode that's very similar to uh, Daniel Craig's character in this. So. <laughs> I was watching, I was like, is, are these just the Debbie Grunt episodes of King of the Hill? <laughs> well, I mean, Ryan Johnson, everybody praises him for how original he is, but maybe really all he does is, he's like Tarantino. He just rips other people off and puts them in a 
puts it all in a shiny wrapper with an annoyingly star-studded cast that distracts from that's what he does he just loads it with people that you know every 30 seconds you're like oh my god it's Chris Evans. Oh my God! It's Tony Collette. So you don't have time to really process like the flimsy story that's being told. It's the the Wes Anderson approach. Exactly. That's why I got Paul Dano for Looper. The story was starting to feel flimsy, and he's like, "Fuck it, throw the People's Champ in there." So Julio, ninety-seven percent, way up there. Uh, as we discussed, you know, this thing took home a lot of awards and received even more nominations. It would be only fair that the critics were fanning themselves over this. So from the quotes you were able to assemble, what exactly were critics saying about Knives Out? All right. Here's here's a few fresh quotes. Uh, if you want to hear the few rare rotten quotes, uh, stick around for part two. But let's start with Alex Bentley from Culture Map, who says, Knives Out is a great antidote to the Oscar contenders and family fair that dominate this time of the year. It's a purely fun time at the movies, thanks to his strong story and fantastic performances. So when he says, when he says this time of the year, he's talking about Christmas, right? Uh, it looks like it was a Thanksgiving release. So yeah, just the general holiday season. Yeah, and I guess Thanksgiving is when you start getting some of those Oscar wannabes. Oh, yeah. The hopefuls. Oscar hopefuls. But, uh, I mean, I don't know what he's talking about. Like, this was an awards darling. Like, this was awards baby. It, it wasn't an antidote. It was more of the same. <laughs> Just like a, like you said, a cast of all stars with a director that's well-known uh, and, and kind of a gimmicky storyline. So, and, and somebody died. <laughs> a revered actor died on screen. So, Oscar bait. Uh Harris Dang from Impulse Gamer says, Everything old can be new again, and Knives Out demonstrate this brilliantly due to Ryan Johnson's airtight script, assured direction, and the commitment from the crazily talented cast. Foul play has never been this much fun. Airtight. I mean, this movie (laughs) exists on a system of ensuring everything goes exactly according to Ridiculous Plan, Uh, not unlike Reindeer Games, a a Christmas (laughs) classic. A much better movie. (laughs) See, I think Reindeer Games knows that it doesn't make any sense. Knives Out doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe it knows, but it's hoping you don't notice. Reindeer Games also has long-haired, bearded Gary Sinise. Knives Out does not. Everyone in this just looks exactly like they look in everything else they do. Uh, that's not entirely true. Michael Shannon looks a bit homely. <laughs> the one the one actor that decided to go with the beard. Yeah. Um Richard Propes from TheIndependentCritic.com says, Ryan Johnson proves himself to be one of contemporary cinema's most creative, inspired, disciplined, and downright entertaining filmmakers working today. Not according to half of Star Wars fans. He didn't say that. I said that. Oh, okay. I was like, (laughs) interesting. (laughs) Richard Propes ending his review with not. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's. I, I think that, yeah, probably, you know, 50% of uh, movie audiences agree with that. But he's ignoring the other 50% who think Ryan Johnson is the Antichrist. Ryan Johnson was supposed to star on the Left Behind sequel. He was not to be. Um, let's close with uh, Mahmoud Mahdi from Film Gamed, who says, Knives Out is further proof that the key factor behind exceptional success in 2019 cinema is risk-taking. What? <laughs> This movie doesn't take any risks. What it's risks? Clue with just a, a who's who of Hollywood. Yeah, if this was risk taking, it would be a cast of unknowns. The female character would be the detective, and uh, it would have a sad ending. Yeah, it'd be a cast of like relatively unknowns, but still, you have the 
you know, all-time classic actor that dies early on. You know, the fucking <laughs> Wes Craven principle. Kill Drew Barrymore in the first five minutes of the movie. <laughs> All right, Julio, is that what's uh, setting the table there? That's, the table is set. The game is afoot, as uh, Daniel Craig well, says in this movie. Yeah, well, sir, a game is afoot. Yeah, he's like fucking <laughs> shtick, like Tim Heidecker or something, doing that <laughs> Bayou so, accent. So you're right. It, it is shtick, right? That That's not a yeah. performance. That's a... <laughs> that's, um, that episode of The Office where Andy like is explaining how you do different accents. He's like, you got this Florida panhandle thing, which what you really want is more of a Savannah accent, <laughs> which is just sort of like molasses spilling out of your mouth. And that's kind of like somewhere in between here of where fucking James Bond was showing up. And like, I'm shocked at no point did he say, I say, I say, because uh, fucking Captain America calls him Foghorn Leghorn at one point. That made yep. me laugh. All right, so knives out. I mean, we just we start in a pretty house. Um, I think as we do from time to time, it's best to visit the uh, tried and true global encyclopedia, Wikipedia, <laughs> to kick us off here with a plot summation. The family of Harlan Thromby, a wealthy mystery novelist, attends his 85th birthday party at his Massachusetts mansion. The fuck is Daniel Craig doing all the way up from Lafayette in Massachusetts? <laughs> The next morning, eh, that's no, that's definitely more of a Nolan's thing he's got going on. The next morning, Harlan's housekeeper, Fran, finds him dead with his throat slit. The police believe Harlan's death to be a suicide, but a private detective, Benoit Blanc, is anonymously paid to investigate. Blanc learns Harlan's relationships with his various family members were strained. On the day of his death, Harlan threatened to expose his son-in-law, Richard, for cheating on his daughter, Linda, cut off his daughter-in-law, Joni's allowance for stealing from him, fired his son, Walt, from his publishing company, and had an altercation with his grandson, Ransom. So, so everybody sucks. Yeah, it's like Christopher Plummer, we find him dead. We don't know that at first. I, at least I couldn't tell. When uh, why'd you think that uh, that the maid freaked out if he was no no no, no no I knew someone was dead I couldn't tell that was Christopher Plummer right oh away. okay gotcha gotcha yeah and so the house is really nice that's how you know I'm getting older because I was like God damn that'd be cool to hang out at that house uh, and yeah obviously he's dead so immediately after we discover that Harlan is dead we just start following the Marta character who we find out is Harlan's nurse and kind of what her not necessarily role in this is, but just like establishing her character and what she does. We, we start with her at home with her sister and her mother. And my immediate thought was, you know, going into this, you got Laurie Strode, Chris Evans, Michael Shannon, you know, all these people. And I, my note here says, am I supposed to know this gal? <laughs> I mean, now you do. It, 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 in 2022, uh, she's known as uh, an actress that dated Ben Affleck. It, she drove him into the arms of J-Lo again. God bless. Yeah. But, so, so, you know, she did her part. Well, help me out here. In 2019, when this movie came out, you're more in tune than I am. Were you overly familiar with her? Uh, I knew her from uh, Blade Runner 2049. She has a supporting role. She's the... She's the only good thing in Blade Runner 2049. Gotcha. Yeah, it kind of just threw me off because I was like, okay, why why am I supposed to care about this character here? I mean, I mean, you're right. If if we're talking about like uh paying your dues, 
Like, uh, she did not build up to a starring role in the next movie from the guy that directed The Last Jedi. Mm. You would have thought that that would have gone to someone that had a little more experience, that had proven themselves a little more. I think, you know, she had a few years of supporting roles ahead of her before she could claim that. And yet, here we are. I think that, uh, I don't know, it, this movie, and a lot of the praise around this movie is about how it uh, goes against convention, how it reinvents the genre. And uh, I don't think it does. I think that it changes a couple of things, but it doesn't change enough. And I think one of the things that I guess he changed that Ryan Johnson tried to be innovative about is <laughs> having an unknown at the center of this uh, all-star cast. And I don't know, it, it is distracting. You're right. At this point, if you have... Uh, overloaded your cast with talent the way that he has, it becomes a little weird when the main character is not an A-lister. Did, mm-hmm. did you find that taking you out of the movie? Uh, it w- took me a while to just get back into it. I mean, when Michael Shannon showed up, I was like, all right, here we go. Now we got a star <laughs> in our midst. But yeah, it was just kind of weird given that in the scenes that follow, it's just kind of like this fucking... Uh, it's the ball in Indiana Jones just with some of the greatest actors of the past 50 years on all sides of it, just rolling down this hill and falling off along the way Uh, is Jamie Lee Curtis. Laurie Strode is uh, Harlan's daughter. Uh, Her husband, Eduardo Sanchez, uh, Don Johnson, Django and chains, Don Johnson. Oh man. He's always Kenny powers dad to me. I I respect (laughs) the Django reference, but yeah, that's neither of us thinks Miami vice. So we're not that old. no, you have a uh, contrarian's icon, Tony Collette, who her character might have been the funniest to me about how she thinks she's like loved and accepted and everyone hates her. What uh, do you make of her her accent here? Like she she saw what Daniel Craig was doing and Oh yeah, she didn't try to like compete for most absurd, but yeah, I couldn't really figure it out. It it, it kind of came and went. It's not like she at any point just gave up and was in her native tongue, but it was uh, it, it ebbed and flowed. Uh, Ricky Lindholm returning to the Contrarians. Mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised to see her. She plays uh, Michael Shannon's wife. Uh, but yeah, the kids of Harlan being Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Shannon, with Tony Collette being his daughter-in-law from another kid that died. Correct. She's not, yeah, she's not married to Michael Shannon. No, that's uh, Ricky Lindholm. Um, Chris Evans is the son of Jamie Lee Curtis and Don Johnson, which, man, what a goddamn good-looking family there. <laughs> Those Christmas cards, just <laughs> infuriating. His name's Ransom. That already, I was like, <laughs> all right. There were several points of this movie where I'm like, okay, getting a little too cute for your own good here. And then, as we mentioned, Daniel Craig kind of pulls it all together as a private investigator looking into the case, Benoit Blanc. Uh, there's actual police officers there investigating as well. We have Detective uh, Elliot, played by uh, Lakeith Stanfield, who mm-hmm. um, get out. Is, is that get out? From? Yes, I know him from something else as well, but I'm blanking on it right now. Oh, Short Term Twelve. That's what it was. Yes. Yeah. 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 And he was also in uh, Uncut Gems. You're right. Holy shit. He's like uncomfortably thin and uncut gems though if i remember correctly he doesn't have the respectable mustache that he has here no and then who's the other dude uh young 
Jeff Jan, Daniels. Jan Sol Goodman. Noah Segan. <laughs> no, I thought he plays uh, Jeff Daniels Looper in Looper. <laughs> Does he? I don't know. I don't remember. I just his voice is very uh, bubble and esque. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying like I was looking at his fucking filmography. I was like, wait, does he play <laughs> Saul Goodman in a flashback on some episode? No, 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 no. That's a that's a good connection you brought up. One of the things I had forgotten about Ryan Johnson's directing credits is that he directed three episodes of Breaking Bad. That's right. Uh, uh, and fittingly enough, he directed what is probably regarded as the single most divisive episode <laughs> the fly yep <laughs> yep <laughs> all right so we got the the table set here the players are established and yeah uh noah segan is the other police officer and he is like the fucking sherry moon zombie of the ryan johnson <laughs> universe he's in brick he's in the brothers bloom looper i'm pretty sure he's got a part in uh Last Jedi, yep, he was in Last Jedi. Nice. Stormtrooper. He is Stormaroni Star Staric. Anyway. Alright, so Julio, what this becomes, at least for the first, I dare say, act of the film, is uh piecing together everyone's versions of the story and what they're reminiscing was. Very Scooby Doo esque. Uh, <laughs> and it's the everyone's a suspect. Everyone's flashing back to the night before, what they remember, what they heard, what they saw, where they were, you know, times, all that kind of shit. And all the while, Daniel Craig's just kind of watching in the background and taking notes on, you know, body language, posturing, that type of thing. Uh, One thing that I was, like, getting excited about in, I think, two of the flashback sequences, Christopher Plummer tells, you know, whoever's whoever's narrating the story, he, he says to them, my mind's made up. And I was like hoping that was going to become his catchphrase and it was going to be in every single sequence. And he uses it in different contexts with different people, but it was not to be. It's just kind of one of those classic Ryan Johnson things where he introduces a concept that's fairly interesting and then just kind of backpedals on it. What he wasn't expecting was J.J. Abrams to come in and rework the script after <laughs> got rid of all that shit. Um Here's a question for you, Alex. Now, because you're right, there's a lot of like table setting. It's like fucking forty minutes of exposition of just setting things up, uh, based on all of it. Having seen the movie and all that information that we get, like, who is the biggest piece of shit in this family? It really seems like uh, Don Johnson, right? Because the nerve to cheat on Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, of course, cheating on Jamie Lee Curtis. But then his motives and motivations seem more self-serving than everyone else which is saying a lot because everyone in this family is very self-serving and selfish uh and you know to kind of get ahead of ourselves here when the inheritance gets doled out that's when it shows how evil they all truly are but you know don johnson's the one that you know he doesn't even have his family's back it seems like the rest of them are at least united in some sort of you know fucked up twisted way but he's just only looking out for himself also he's a trump supporter so (laughs) automatically Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets a black mark already. He has that scene where he uh, he's talking and casually handing his uh, his dirty plate over to Marta <laughs> so that she can take it to the kitchen. Or, you know what I mean? Like, he calls her over to be part of the conversation. But then once she's there, he keeps talking and he just hands her the dirty plate. And it's just so fucking entitled. <laughs> yeah, while explaining, like, see, your family did it the right way. You came to our country the right way and all that yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that that, that kind of leads to my 
one of my main problems with Knives Out, actually, which is that uh, it's it's sort of a wokeness, I guess. Like, I'm Hispanic, and it was kind of weird. I, 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 which movie have we done that felt that way, too, where I'm like, I feel pandered to. You know, you're going to have the Hispanic, like, in a, the only good person in the movie is the one Hispanic person. And the movie goes above and beyond to paint her as basically a saint, a victim of circumstances, and everybody else is just so despicable. I, I wish that the movie had gone. Like, if you're gonna go like full activist on me, then then do what I was was saying earlier. You know, like okay, then make her the detective. You know, if you really want to shake things up, uh, both as far as within the genre and also uh, as far as uh, social norms or whatever. You know, when was the last time that you saw a movie where the the detective was a woman? And, you know, the one solving the mystery. Probably not since, like, Murder, She Wrote. You know, and that was a TV show. So that's what I, I think would have done better. Or, you know, instead of having uh, the uh, Lakeith Stanfield playing second banana to Daniel Craig, have Lakeith Stanfield be the detective, you know? Then you have, like, oh, yeah. a, a black guy, like, you know, leading the investigation. But in the end, it's just, you know, very superficial. It doesn't dig deeper. So if you're not going to go deep with it, then just don't, don't even do it and just focus on telling a a fun, entertaining story that doesn't last two hours and ten minutes. That's the problem. Like, the wokeness is the, the bloat of this movie. If you got rid of all the political stuff, I don't know if it would meet the Mattis rule, but it wouldn't be so far off from it. Yeah, there's a lot of fat that could have been trimmed on this, a lot of gristle that could have been cut off and turned to the side. I did write down here because I did audibly laugh at... Uh, because it was like a, my original joke and take that I was going to have here in the first portion when Daniel Craig says, this guy practically lives in a clue board. Because I was just like, it's clue is what's going on. And, <laughs> you know, he calls it out. So at least uh, there was a sense of humor about that. Kind of like similar to The Last Jedi when, you know, Poe Dameron's like, can you believe it? This guy is involving minorities and women in Star Wars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have a note here of... Uh, when reflecting upon uh, Harlan exposing Don Johnson's uh, affair, but he's running like fucking Windows 2003. Uh, it looked like the computers I worked on in high school, and I think this is supposed to be based in modern times. Uh, so this fucking zillionaire couldn't afford a, a MacBook. Ridiculous. Well, he still like writes uh, letters to Jamie Lee Curtis. He doesn't email her. He doesn't text her. It's true. And he does it with his disappearing ink, as we find out at the end of the movie. <laughs> Very old-fashioned. We, uh, we had our own secret way of communicating. I mean, you had to find that with Dad. Finally, Marta, the nurse, gets interrogated, interviewed. I guess not interrogated, but, you know, just questioned. She was saved for last. And we find her character quirk is that she throws up when she's lying. Ha 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 ha. It was between that and having her uh, pretend to take photos of Daniel Craig. Or being the precocious child that senses when danger's near. Yes. <laughs> this is pretty gross for what seemed to be up till now a highbrow murder <laughs> mystery comedy. It definitely takes you down a notch. It's like, yeah. you know, if, if American Pie had started off as some dignified, you know, <laughs> exactly like you said, highbrow intellectual comedy and then, you know. Stifler gets pissed on. That's basically what's going on here. <laughs> uh, yeah, we see her throw up more than once, and and it builds up to it. Like at the end, we actually see her. We see the throw up, 
And I don't understand why... Well, I mean, that's a problem. Again, is your movie smart or no? Because beyond it being gross, it's just such a cheap plot device. You know, it's just... he. Ryan Johnson built in this sort of magical plot element that will allow him to to kind of catch the murder at the end. You know, it's it's so convenient because if she could lie without throwing up, then this movie would be over <laughs> in like 20 minutes. She just lies to Dale Craig and that's it. Yeah, and it, it feels like, you know, Looper when the drugs they do are like eye drops. It seems like something Ryan Johnson thought in his head was going to be really cool, and then in practice it was just kind of like, okay. <laughs> Nobody wants to see anybody throw up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and the weirdest part is, throughout the course of the film, you don't know if this is supposed to be funny or not, or just kind of like the what the character does. And then the big, the payoff to it is supposed to be funny, because fucking, you know, spoiler, Chris Evans gets puked on. Ha <laughs> 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 Multicolor puke, too. Dude, you can give me, see Skittles there. Give me black sheep over this. You know, <laughs> Chris Farley falling down, the the beds collapsing, the the roof coming off. Give me that over Marta puking. No fluids. Uh, no, no. But she's guilt ridden, and she you know uh, doesn't confess to this. But we see the audience sees what happened, uh, and Blanc appears to you know, think that she knows more than she's telling, which is obviously the case because as she's recounting her story, we see, like I said, exactly what happened. And what that is, is that she played a game of go with Christopher Plummer and then went to give him his nightly medication, mixed up the medications and gave him the wrong thing, which was a lethal dose of morphine. And uh, instead of, you know, calling for an ambulance, he says, you know, well, this is all over for me. So this is what you need to do. Uh, and I'm going to make sure that, you know, you're taking care of. So he gives her very specific. So he gives her very specific instructions to follow in order to cover her trails, both, you know, figuratively and literally, both figuratively and literally. And uh, and I guess knowing the score that he's going to die regardless, his motherfucker slits his own throat <laughs> in front of her, in front of her. <laughs> Don't you think, did you feel that she agreed to all this a little too easily? Like, she's kind of saying, like, no, no, but then, you know, okay. <laughs> it's a throwback to one of our previous episodes. Remember the Jessica Biel Texas Chainsaw Massacre where her friend's, like, dying? And he's like, Aaron, kill me. And she's like, no, I won't do it. And he's like, Aaron, kill me. And she's like, okay. And just gives <laughs> into it and <laughs> kills the dude. That was kind of like this here. She's like, no, I need to call an ambulance. And Christopher Plummer's like, no. <laughs> He gives her the Kevin Costner and uh, what movie is that we always do? Is Man of Steel. Super- Man of Steel. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, she just kind of goes with it. He does, you know, in his last, unknowingly, his last act on earth is him just completely burying his family, which is hilarious. <laughs> Talks about how stupid his grandson is. And that's where we see the knife that he eventually takes his own life with because he says his grandson's so daft he couldn't tell the difference between, you know, a real knife and a stage prop. Now, Alex, before this happened, or maybe even as it was happening... My note here says, oh, he did kill himself. (laughs) Or did he? Uh, There were so many thoughts running through my head, especially the first time I was watching it, of like potential things of like, man, what's really going on here? Because I couldn't believe... I mean, I, I was like, clearly, this is not all of it, right? Because if it was... Well, we already know what happened, and we're like maybe 50 minutes into the movie, 40 minutes into the movie, and I was thinking, you know, what else is going to be the twist uh, 
did you ever consider while watching this that maybe Marta and uh, Christopher Plummer had a relationship that went beyond friendship? Oh, yeah. The the whole time I was just kind of like not allowing myself to get really invested in the story or any of the characters because I was like, this just seems like there's going to be some stupid twist coming at any point. Yeah, the, 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 you know, maybe he's not really dead. Maybe he, mm-hmm. y- you know, we, we've been, what we've been seeing is just her lying, in, in lying not just to the detectives, but to the audience. And it turns out that he's alive or that they were in it together or he's alive and he was tricking her into something else. Or, uh, But honestly, all that, I mean, those avenues, I would have preferred that. I would have preferred like the, the weird, dumb twist out of nowhere to what we got, which was kind of, what we end up getting is just confirmation. It was like, oh no, she's a good person. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's it. That's that was her, her entire journey in this movie. Was like, she it's was, a massive circle. Like, yeah, you you think we're gonna find that you know she's some plotting devious bitch, and it's just like, oh no, like fucking Daniel Craig tells you as much. He says, oh, what I say, sir, you are a good nurse. Uh, yeah, very very disappointing in. Dude, it's been at least forty minutes, and this story is still not going. Like it's it's still just explaining what happened. Yeah, then we kick into the actual investigation beginning, where Blanc, uh, with Marta by his side, he said he wants her to help him out. Begins, you know, investigating the premises, the grounds, you know, trying to get surveillance footage, and Marta's just fucking shit up along the way because she knows her <laughs> goose is cooked, her donkey's in a ditch, as they say, and you know she's like fucking up footprints she's doing it hilariously too there's mud prints from you know where she had gotten in and out the night before and it's her shoe clearly she's doing this thing where she's walking back and forth on it while daniel craig's like get away from there and she's like what i can't hear you it's actually pretty funny but she's just existing at this point to impede and tamper with any evidence that she can to kind of again save her ass cover her tracks did you uh did you geek out two things one that uh, the surveillance system in this super fancy rich house still uses VHS tapes. Dude, I <laughs> that VCR was like fucking Viagra to me. I was like, oh man, I couldn't couldn't imagine having a piece of equipment like that. <laughs> and then number two, almost as hot as Tony Collette. <laughs> uh, number two, the person in charge of that station, in charge of those tapes, is uh, Emmett Walsh from infamous title in the Contrarian's canon, Christmas with the Cranks. He's Dude, the guy. I knew I recognized that guy's name. <laughs> yeah. He's the guy that uh, ends up getting the trip from, uh, you know, Tim Allen gives him his his plane tickets or whatever. Our, our names aren't on the tickets. I know. I'll take care of that. My next note here. Hey, it's Chris Evans. Chris Evans shows up, Ransom, uh, shows back up to the, the estate and just kind of walks right through the police officers and is like, I don't have time for this shit. We're getting closer to the will being read, so it brings the whole family together. And now, you know, he is clearly the most, uh, he has the highest opinion of himself of any of them. Turns out, I still don't know if he's as bad as Don Johnson, his dad, but he's uh, he's definitely the most conniving and, um, you know, one of the better workers because he convinces several people throughout the course of this that he has their best intentions in mind. Which, again, he's just looking out for number one. And, you know, we don't get enough Chris Evans bad guys, so I kind of was bummed that the majority of his time on screen is we find out he was posing as a good guy. But 
in real time watching the movie, you're like, uh, it's just, you know, another Chris Evans savior type movie. We thought that he was a bad guy that had seen the light and become a good guy, but he's still Captain America. Michael Shannon and Don Johnson have like a semi fight scene, which was easily the most excited I got this entire movie. I was just like, holy shit. Because, you know, they're just the old men that are like, come on, you want a piece of me? Try me. If if they had allowed that to happen, if if that had gone on, who who are you betting on? Oof. Well, in this particular situation, uh, Michael Shannon's got the cane, yep. so he could just bludgeon him with it. <laughs> doesn't uh, doesn't Don Johnson look like he would like he's packing though, like he's carrying a gun? Oh, absolutely. And he also see, I don't know, he probably has a gun, but Michael Shannon would go for the eyes, like <laughs> you, you know, try to get a thumb behind the eyeball, that type of thing. It would have been uh, a good scrap. Like, I wish they would have just moved it out to the yard and, you know, let him have at it. <laughs> so b- before we move on to, from Chris Evans, though, I, I, I do have to say that the I was disappointed that he has this his big scene, his big introduction is him telling people to eat shit. And yeah. uh, that was in the trailer. That was, uh, I don't know if you ever saw the trailer, but that was that was one of the big, that was the big closer, I think, in the trailer. And, uh, you know, he was Captain America for 10 years. And I thought that maybe we had moved past the sort of juvenile comedy of him just, you know, saying poo-poo and pee-pee. And, uh, <laughs> but no, this movie just drags him back down to that level for that sequence, just so they can put it on the trailer and sell it to you. Look, it's Captain America, but he's being naughty. Yeah, save it for the deep tracks. If you want to see an adult hard R, no, not not that. Uh, <laughs> Just watch London. You know, yeah, exactly. If you want to see adult-oriented Chris Evans, you just got to go back and watch London. One of the hilariously uh, awakening films of the Contrarians <laughs> run. I can. I think it's his real hair in this, and not that god awful wig that he wore in that. <laughs> But wouldn't have you? Wouldn't this movie be better if uh, if his character from London was was Ransom? Oh yes, with the the bags under the eyes, the beard, the shitty hair, you know, showing up with the looking like complete shit, the ball cap on, and he's just got Jason Statham with him for no reason. <laughs> just providing him with drugs. There you go. Jason Statham sees Daniel Craig. He's like, sir, I ask, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> pistols at dawn i say <laughs> so the will is read the will and testament and it was amended i think they say literally like just a week before and uh harlan had done away with all of his original will and at this point in time all his assets liquid and material all his finances all of that the house everything is left to marta and so this leads to like a massive revolt from the Thromby family. They're just like, fuck this. That can't be right. You got to do something about it. They're talking like the family attorney. This can't be right. That type of thing. They chase Marta out of the house. And Julio, I don't know if you noticed this. You know I notice this stuff sometimes more than you do. There is a, a shot here where they chase Marta out of the house. And it's like this static shot. And then when she comes down the stairs and she's onto the driveway, the camera starts coming up to her, but it's like on a fucking seesaw. Yep. It starts rock. The camera starts rocking back and forth, <laughs> side to side, and there is not a single other moment in the film shot like that. And that's why I was like, "What the fuck is that?" Because I took note of it. And do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, yeah. Ryan Johnson forgot the tripod. 
that day. Yes. He was like, okay. Fuck it. <laughs> We're running late. Just, just shoot I can't it. afford to keep Jamie Lee on set much longer. We got to just get this <laughs> taken care of. Uh, that happens every once in a while on these. If this is if you're a first time listener, there will be some shot in a movie that is unlike anything else in the movie and it just bothers me so much because i spend time trying to figure out like what the idea behind it is and in this case there's probably not much to it but it really bothered me and it's something that was like when it was over uh you know the credits roll i'm like so what was up with that camera shot about halfway through the movie <laughs> see you were distracted by the by the weird lack of a, of a dolly track and i was distracted by frank oz played the, the attorney i'm like why is frank oz wasting his time <laughs> doing a cameo he, he needs to be directing another Muppets movie he shouldn't be here doing this do, do you think that they became friends when the Ryan Johnson did Last Jedi does Yoda show yeah Yoda shows up I'm guessing Frank Oz was there to do the voice of Yoda and they became friends and Ryan Johnson said if I ever do a murder mystery you're gonna play the lawyer that reads the will <laughs> it's a deal like, okay <laughs> and, you know, and he turned to George Lucas and he made the this guy face. Like, all right. <laughs> the the uh, jerk off motion. You're like, sure, Ryan, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fucking uh, Daisy Ridley and Oscar Isaac are just, you know, trying not to laugh and catering. <laughs> so Chris Evans, Captain America, shows up to save the day. He uh, rescues Marta because she can't start her car. She just floods the engine. And, you know, so she's just stuck there while the thrombies are, you know, fucking non protest style, just shaking her car <laughs> back and forth. It would be scary being an immigrant like that. And, you know, all these crazy white folk are just fucking trying to attack you. Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, this is how much she loses her shit. She says, Were She you- begins chanting, Evil dies tonight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But at some point she pauses her chanting just to say, "Were you boinking my father?" Which oh yeah, she does say boinking. Come on, like that's not. If you want to avoid, if you want to say fuck because you don't want your movie to be radar, then just don't put that line there, or make it you know a little more. She could say, "Were you having relations with my father?" <laughs> boinking is just such a childish way of saying it. I just don't. It, again, it just takes you out of the out of the scene yeah in that situation too the boinking is yeah it's you're exactly right it's like they wanted to say something kind of funny but didn't want to say fucking to preserve the rating of the film so just say were you having sex with my dad i mean that just kind of saves the moment there she doesn't even have to say sex you could just because you know she's like an older woman she can just go like were you and my dad and just kind of like leave it there hanging we all know what she's talking about we've all thought about it so as i mentioned ransom Picks up Marta, takes her away, takes her to some local bar or restaurant someplace and uh, explains, you know, I want to help. She tells him the whole story of what was, you know, what happened. And so he lays out, you know, how they're going to beat this together, how Blanc's not going to figure it out, how they're going to walk away with all the money and then he'll get some, you know, on his end. Um, This scene features the best moment of acting of Chris Evans in this entire movie kind of reminds me i i've talked about this with chris evans every time he comes up i sometimes forget how good of an actor he is but after he hears the whole story about what happened it just cuts back to him and he's just kind of crestfallen there and i think he's like uh kind of nervously running his thumbnail across his teeth and he says i thought i was the only one that could beat him and go and it's not like he's trying to you know woes me it's just kind of like this real genuine moment of uh talking about like a board game he played with his grandpa 
And Marta's like, what the fuck? Yeah. She's like, that's what you took away from this? <laughs> Did I forget to mention the part where I actually saw your grandfather slit his throat in front of me? <laughs> Uh, back, the Thrombies are hounding the the family lawyer about, you know, how do we get the money back? And he basically explains, if it comes to light, that, you know, she was in any way responsible for his death. You know, it nullifies that and the assets go elsewhere. I forget the actual term he uses, but I know Michael Shannon goes, like OJ? And the guy's <laughs> like, yes, like OJ. Very timely reference. But now they need Blanc. They're like, all right, he's we need... Daniel Craig, we need the crawdad man to come down here and help us figure out what's going on so we can get our money. Marty's just overwhelmed by this at this point. Now the fucking local news station is covering what's going on. They're outside her apartment. She tries to sneak away to get to Ransom to kind of figure out what the next step is. Uh, She gets the mail and is confronted by a very creepy Michael Shannon that just like is inching closer to her with the whole, you know, not making any direct threats but saying that you need to think very carefully about what you're going to do we know your mom's here illegally and i've got this cane in case you get out of line yep (laughs) i keep tapping this cane against the floor uh, even when i'm not walking another allusion to the 2003 texas chainsaw massacre the old guy that to summon leatherface keeps hitting his cane on the floor like that (laughs) i was just expecting fucking leatherface to show up out of one of those apartment doors he's summoning his nazi uh his nazi child there you go. Did you, uh, at this point, I, I mean, I guess we kind of knew what was happening, but also we kind of we were hoping that there was more to it. So did you think that anybody else in the family was involved? Because, I mean, Michael Shannon always looks creepy in every movie. And I think, in fact, that the, the beard that he has in this movie is an attempt at maybe softening him up a little bit so he doesn't look like the prime suspect. Uh, but were you like this late into the movie? Like, were you thinking one of these guys did it? I mean, the way they set up Chris Evans' character as this huge douchebag, like, I was like, okay, this fucker has some ulterior motives here, obviously. And um, yeah, they just all seem too obvious, like Red Herring from Scooby Doo. It was just like, it would make way too much sense if this person did it or if this person did it. So. Like I said, I kept my guard up the whole time because I didn't want to fall for some dumb twist that came. And joke's on me because there wasn't really any twist. It was just this ridiculous, overly complicated series of circumstances that led, or series of happenstance, excuse me, that led to the conclusion. But the first time you saw this, did you have like a prime suspect in mind? Real talk and concerns corner. I thought it was Harland. I thought that it was all part of a Harland's plan to teach his family a lesson. Nice. And at the end, he was going to reveal that he was still alive. I'm like, I don't know how, but <laughs> something's going to... Maybe he has a twin brother. <laughs> I don't know. Ryan Johnson, you made a Star Wars movie. You can make this happen. And then it was, yeah. Once you're, you know, your mind gets going and you're thinking, okay, what else? You know, the possibilities, in a way, even though they shouldn't be, they are endless. And then you arrive to this conclusion, and it's pretty pedestrian. Yeah, It's like, oh, so it was just... It was an accident, <laughs> and, and then somebody kind of took advantage of it, but it's not, you know, it wasn't a big master plan. So, yeah, I know. It, I was asking you because, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, as I was watching the movie, and every time I watch it, I'm like, yeah, they, they're trying really hard to make you think that anybody could have done it. Actually, fuck, I think that's the one of the taglines in one of the posters. It was like, any of them could have done it. But I guess that's not... Uh, uh, 
I guess that's not as satisfying as thinking that nobody would have done it, but you know somebody did it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That that would have been if everybody looked like a rational person that wouldn't commit murder, but you know that one of them did it, then that's I think more stimulating than like, well, any of these fuckers could have done it, so of course there was a murder. <laughs> I don't know. Either way, it's just I, I wish once again I go back to I wish he had streamlined the story a little more. All right. Bringing this home, uh, there's this blackmail scheme against Marta. She gets a letter in the mail that says, I know what you did, and it has her nurse. Uh, it's like a dog tag copy of it on there. Uh, it tells her you know, where to go uh, because the toxicology reports are still pending. Um, the laboratory where all that was being done gets burnt to the ground. Easily. Yeah, there's really no... You would think there'd be like a sprinkler system or something. A guard? Yeah. And, you know, uh, Foghorn Leghorn asks, you know, what about the security cameras? <laughs> and they're like melted. That's their answer to it. So, But we find out that this anonymous line, this deep throat, what have you, has uh, a copy of the toxicology reports that, you know, was kept for safekeeping. And there's an address of where to go. So Marta... Uh, after being picked up by uh, Blanc and the other police officers, she's with Ransom and tells Blanc that you know she was just acting uh, at Ransom's request because uh, they think he did it at this point. So she goes to this address. She finds Fran, the housekeeper there, uh, who's dying. It's just a spider on her face. <laughs> yeah, it's really odd. She looks at Marta and says, you did this, and then... Marta stays behind to try to help her, calls an ambulance. Uh, we get uh, a long static shot of Daniel Craig listening to his iPod in the car because got to have a little comic relief. Yeah. <laughs> is he a terrible detective or what? Like, based he's, on... like he's Michael Scott. It's, um, <laughs> he's kind of an idiot and inept, but there's that moment, you know, of him doing his job and it's you understand how he got to where he is. That's Michael. You know, <laughs> it's few and far between in the office, but there's those moments of him doing his job. And it's like, Oh, that's why he's the manager. Right. He takes uh, a, he takes the client to Chili's. That's, that's the one that, that's the first episode where you see like that. They explain why, or they show you why Michael has the high ranking position that he does. Great episode. Probably should have watched that nine times instead of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, just watch the whole season with the Michael Scott Paper Company. There you go. Uh, you could watch that whole season in a shorter amount of time than fucking Knives Out. You'd be done with the season, and uh, they'd they'd be finishing the the setup you would, of the story. You would be in the movie. Yeah, you would be in the movie where we are in the episode right now. <laughs> I forgot to call out when they're trying to evade the police after the the laboratory burns down. Marta like floors it to get away, and fucking Chris Evans says, "Okay, baby driver." And you're the the Chris Evans meme. I understood that reference. Yeah, but also, you know, in this universe, this movie takes place in is Baby Driver like The Godfather? It's the movie that everyone like references and knows. <laughs> it's not like you're right. That's like a really like that tells you what Ryan Johnson thinks of his audience, right? Because there's been plenty of epic car chases in the history of cinema, and and he yeah. went with Baby Driver. <laughs> He didn't go like the French Connection, Smokey Ronin, and the Bandit, Speed Racer, or you know, just like foreshadowing of what was to come. Like, all right, Sonic the Hedgehog. 
<laughs> you hit you hit both camps with that. You you hit the future movie and you hit the video games. That's right. So Fran appears to be dying. We don't know why, but Marta tries to keep her alive and calls for an ambulance. She in the waiting room at the hospital just tells Daniel Craig, you know, this has gone too far. I need to tell you what happened. He gets a phone call. Chris Evans ransom had just explained everything and she's like well did he tell you this this and this he's like yeah yep so he's like all right it's time to go back to the house because you know we need to talk to the family about this and so they get back and she figures out where the stored the the safe copy of the toxology report is gives it to daniel craig as she goes to tell the family that you know what happened she was you know uh, directly responsible for his death he cuts her off and because you know we see him like reading in the background and he's doing like the uh, and he like takes his glasses off and you know he's am i seeing what i think i see is this a mirage and he comes up and he's just like you know stop the presses y'all have never been nice to her he says ever since this began y'all have all been here knives out and i'm like oh he said the name of the movie Turned to wink to the camera, and he explains that Marta will not be relinquishing anything that she's obtained from the the will and testament of Harlan, and he kind of pulls her into this other room and tells the other two cops to come with, and then he starts talking about donuts for like five minutes. Jesus. He's ex- explaining that the case was like a donut with a hole in the middle, and that he thought he found the donut hole, but the donut hole has a hole in it. It's like... A really, really, really dumb version of the end of Matrix Reloaded when he meets the architect. <laughs> With an accent on top of all that. Uh, yeah. And if he's, I believe he's supposed to be Cajun, they would call him beignets. They wouldn't call it donut. <laughs> I got a batch of the soggiest beignets. That's how you know he's a fraud. I think the, the ultimate <laughs> twist would have been him like switching into his regular British accent at the very end. The end of uh, the the Simpsons with Michael Jackson. Well, that's it for me. <laughs> that's how Michael Jackson talks, and this is the joke. And that, yeah, his real name's like fucking Smith Gallagher or something. <laughs> it's like, well, I've cracked the case. But yeah, he's just going on and on and on. And like I said, I compared it to Ranger Games earlier because he lays out what happened, and it happened the way we saw it as the audience. The difference is, is that. Ransom was just there kind of orchestrating all of it, uh, ensuring that, you know, he would die and it would look like an accident from the nurse and then he could come in and kind of swoop in and get his fingers in the pie. And it's like the end of Reindeer Games in that, okay, but you realize this could have gone wrong at any point in the film. Like one wrong left turn and the whole plan goes to dust. You know, Dumb and Dumber, what if he shot you in the face? That type of thing. <laughs> But yeah, we do it, find out uh, through all this how fucking metal Christopher Plummer is because he wasn't going to die and he still just slit his own throat. That, <laughs> that's like in the very beginning, like, you think that's a suicide? And one of the cops is like, I understand it's a bit dramatic, but that's such a fucking metal way to go, man. It's such a cruel thing to do to the character of Marta, though. Like, for, for a movie that keeps oh, yeah. showing her to be this... You know, the movie keeps praising her and telling us how, how awesome she is, how amazing she, she is, how she deserves better and everything. But then the movie goes and just literally does, like, one of the worst things possible to her, which is, like, yeah, you didn't kill him, but you were responsible for his death <laughs> in the end. You should have just... But don't worry, because you're a good person. <laughs> you should have called the ambulance, but, you know, just keep that in mind for next time. 
instead of letting the the crazy old man talk you into letting him commit suicide for your sake. But also the you know this was what suddenly made me realize that I have a bigger problem beyond Knives Out and I think it's just that with with the so-called whodunits in general like this genre it's just uh, there's so much padding and there's so much time spent in the setup and then so much time spent in the conclusion where it's just people explaining stuff right we spent 40 minutes with Daniel Craig and the two cops interrogating people just so we could set things up and then there's maybe about a maybe an hour of actual movie and then it's time for Daniel Craig to explain the ending to us. It's another 30 minutes of him just going over and over his theories. And I think that that maybe flies a little better when it's a TV show. Like, you know, I, I mentioned Murder, She Wrote before. And that was kind of like the format, uh, the one with Pierce Brosnan and Remington Steele. Like, they, they would do that, right? Where, like, the first act was a setup. Then you had, like, three acts, you know, with commercial breaks. And the final act was, like, the detectives would go and explain what happened. Okay, but on TV, you know, that's like one hour, and so it's all like 15 minutes or so for the segments. In a movie, it just feels like, man, we were just getting started, and now you're like, you stop the story again so you can explain more things to us. It's just, it's a slog. Uh, so it's not just that I don't like Knives Out. I've realized I don't like whodunits, at least not in, in movie form. Can you think of like a movie mystery that was successful that, that you actually like and think of it as like, oh, this is a good movie? Uh, not off the top of my head. It's because they always become so ridiculous and just like, just get to it already. That's why it works. That's why Scooby-Doo is so successful because the whodunit formula works in a confined time period of 20 minutes or so. Dragging it out over fucking two hours and 10 minutes. No, because eventually you're just going to stop caring. Yeah, and, and the explanation of the Scooby-Doo episode is just so simple. It's like you just take the mask off and it's like, oh, it's this guy. You know, here, Daniel Craig has to, like, spend 20 minutes explaining uh, Chris Evans' insane plan. And it's like, well, you gotta, you gotta streamline. You gotta just get it quicker. Now, with the entire solution in my field of view, the arc of this case is a tragedy of errors. Amata, it will not be easy for you to hear. In the recounting of events through the web that... Blanc has woven we get a replay of Fran dying uh, and it's not you did this she said it's Hugh did this <laughs> as Ransom insists the help call him Hugh because he's an asshole as Marta says she gets a call she explains that Fran's going to be okay and so then it leads Ransom into going into this speech of like yeah I tried to kill her but I, I you know it didn't work and he turns around and gets puked on by Marta. And he's like, she's lying. And she's like, yeah, I was lying. Fran's actually dead. And I guess this is supposed to be funny. And so now, you know, he's going to go away for murder. And there's this giant chair built of knives on the side. And he's just like, well, you know, penny for a penny. And he goes, he rips one off and goes to stab her. And it pays off the the line at the beginning of the movie from Christopher Plummer talking about how dumb he is that he wouldn't be able to tell a real knife from a prop as it's a retractable knife. And uh, I assume they could probably get him for attempted murder on that, too, because he thought it was a real knife. But that's the payoff to the line from the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And then Marta says, tells everyone, get off my lawn. <laughs> the, the, the tiny reveal uh, at the end of this is that uh, Officer Bob Odenkirk was recording everything on his iPhone. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's not admissible in court, right? That is a, isn't that what you call a entrapment? 
like you can't just record a suspect without them knowing. Like, isn't that? You can do anything with phones these days, man. Elon Musk says, "Okay, so it's all good." Uh, it was weird uh, to me. The, the weirdest thing about this scene is that the news that Fran died is taken as like nobody grieves for her because it's a big triumph, right? Like, oh, she died. That means that we can get you for murder. But also, can we take a moment to acknowledge that this woman died? <laughs> she comes back and she's like, she is dead. And everybody, it's, it's like at the end of a Independence Day when Randy Quaid sacrifices himself and everybody cheers and not, they don't acknowledge that a man just died. <laughs> yeah. Except the one guy that's just like, dad. <laughs> yeah. Like, what happened to Fran's children? Nobody cares because the important thing is that uh, they got Chris Evans. Um, I don't know if you caught the symbolism of the. Uh, the final shot, Alex. But uh, you know, the Hispanic immigrant is at the top, looking down on the the mean white people, mm-hmm. and then the camera pulls back, and uh, she drinks from a from a coffee mug that says "My house." Yeah, my house, my rules, my coffee, <laughs> my country. <laughs> it's the first. Uh, we see that coffee mug at the very beginning too. So. So, Alex, do you think that what we're looking at here is an attempt, a successful attempt, I guess, at least as far as critics go, from Ryan Johnson to uh, ingratiate himself with with the world after the Last Jedi? Like, is this is this what happened? Was he did he just set out to make the biggest crowd pleaser ever because he couldn't handle the divisive response uh, to the Last Jedi? It certainly seems like it. With Last Jedi, he made something kind of bold and daring, and with this, it's just like, all right, here's some fucking slop. Come on up to the trough. <laughs> yes, all these people you like, all these pretty people you like. That's right. And and, and here's an up and coming Hispanic actress. You know, so you can see that I'm progressive. Don't worry, I'll give it a happy ending. Yeah, it's disappointing to see him kind of backtrack from being such a, a bold and compromising filmmaker to suddenly become this. It almost feels uh, cookie-cutter filmmaking compared to all the other movies that he's made. Like, I don't even like Brick, but I can tell you that Brick does not compromise. And this movie is just constantly uh, asking you to like it. So that's uh, that's pretty disappointing. And I guess, in a way, it all goes back to Star Wars, and you can just say that Star Wars is to blame for Knives Out. Reddit stole that man's soul. They took his <laughs> dignity and his will to work. <laughs> All right, Julio. All right. I think uh, it's time to move this along. We figured out who done it, so now it's time to talk about. <laughs> it was Ryan Johnson. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's go to real talk. Blank. I told Ransom. Ransom told you, and I'm telling you now. It is an unmovable fact that I killed Harlan. Yes, you did. Yes, he did. Yes, you are. But, but, I spoke in the car about the hole at the center of this donut. And what you and Harlan did that fateful night seems, at first glance, to fill that hole perfectly. A donut hole in a donut's hole. But we must look a little closer. And when we do, we see the donut hole has a hole in its center. It is not a donut hole, but a smaller donut with its own hole. And our donut is not a hole at all. Look, look, I understand that this is amusing for you. Why was I hard? 